Chapter fifty seven of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter fifty seven Oil is to be thrown upon the waters. Messrs. Boothby in Lincoln's Inn had for many years been the lawyers of the Stout family, and probably knew as much about the property as any of the Stouts themselves. They had not been consulted about the giving away of the bit of land for the chapel purposes, nor had they been instructed to draw up any deed of gift. The whole thing had been done irregularly. The land had been only promised, and not in truth as yet given, and the Puddlemites, in their hurry, had gone to work and had built upon a promise. The Marquis, when, after the receipt of Mr. Fenwick's letter, his first rage was over, went at once to the chambers of Messrs. Boothby, and was forced to explain all the circumstances of the case to the senior partner before he could show the clergyman's wicked epistle. Old Mr. Boothby was a man of the same age as the Marquis, and, in his way, quite as great. Only the lawyer was a clever old man, whereas the Marquis was a stupid old man. Mr. Boothby sat, bowing his head, as the Marquis told his story. The story was rather confused, and for a while Mr. Boothby could only understand that a dissenting chapel had been built upon his client's land. "'We shall have to set it right by some scrap of a conveyance,' said the lawyer. "'But the vicar of the parish claims it,' said the Marquis. "'Claims the chapel, my lord.' "'He is a most pestilent, abominable man, Mr. Boothby. I have brought his letter here.' Mr. Boothby held out his hand to receive the letter. From almost any client he would prefer a document to an oral explanation, but he would do so especially from his lordship.' "'But you must understand,' continued the Marquis, "'that he is quite unlike any ordinary clergyman. "'I have the greatest respect for the church, "'and I am always happy to see clergymen at my own house. "'But this is a litigious, quarrelsome fellow. "'They tell me he's an infidel, and he keeps... "'Altogether, Mr. Boothby, nothing can be worse.' "'Indeed,' said the lawyer, still holding out his hand for the letter. "'He has taken the trouble to insult me continually. "'You heard how a tenant of mine was murdered. "'He was murdered by a young man whom this clergyman screens "'because, because he is the brother of, of the young woman. "'That would be very bad, my lord.' "'It is very bad. "'He knows all about the murder. "'I am convinced he does. "'He went bail for the young man. "'He used to associate with him on most intimate terms. "'As to the sister, there's no doubt about that.' They live on the land of a person who owns a small estate in the parish. Mr. Gilmore, my lord. Exactly so. This Mr. Fenwick has got Mr. Gilmore in his pocket. You can have no idea of such a state of things as this. And now he writes me this letter. I know his handwriting now, and any further communication I shall return. The Marquis ceased to speak, and the lawyer at once buried himself in the letter. It is meant to be offensive, said the lawyer. Most insolent, most offensive, most improper. "'and yet the bishop upholds him. "'But if he is right about the bit of land, my lord, "'it will be rather awkward.' "'And as he spoke, the lawyer examined "'the sketch of the vicarage entrance. "'He gives this as copied from the terrier of the parish, my lord.' "'I don't believe a word of it,' said the Marquis. "'You didn't look at the plan of the estate, my lord.' "'I don't think we did, but Packer had no doubt. "'No one knows the property in Bullhampton so well as Packer, "'and Packer said—' But while the Marquis was still speaking, the lawyer rose, and, begging his client's pardon, went to the clerk in the outer room. Nor did he return till the clerk had descended to an iron chamber in the basement, and returned from thence with a certain large tin box. Into this a search was made, and presently Mr. Boothby came back with a weighty lump of dusty vellum documents, and a manuscript map or sketch of a survey of the Bullhampton estate, which he had had opened. 
while the search was being made he had retired to another room and had had a little conversation with his partner about the weather i am afraid the parson is right my lord said mr boothby as he closed the door right right in his facts my lord it is glebe and is marked so here very plainly there should have been a reference to us there should indeed my lord packer and men like him really know nothing the truth is in such matters nobody knows anything you should always have documentary evidence and it is glebe not a doubt of it my lord then the marquis knew that his enemy had him on the hip and he laid his old head down upon his folded arms and wept in his weeping it is probable that no tears rolled down his cheeks but he wept inward tears tears of hatred remorse and self-commiseration his enemy had struck him with scourges and as far as he could see at present he could not return a blow and he must submit himself must restore the bit of land and build those nasty dissenters a chapel elsewhere on his own property he had not a doubt as to that for a moment could he have escaped the shame of it as far as the expense was concerned he would have been willing to build them ten chapels and in doing this he would give a triumph an unalloyed triumph to a man whom he believed to be thoroughly bad the vicar had accused the marquis of spreading reports which he the marquis did not himself believe but the marquis believed them all at this moment there was no evil that he could not have believed of mr fenwick while sitting there an idea almost amounting to a conviction had come upon him that mr fenwick had himself been privy to the murder of old trumbull what would not a parson do who would take delight in insulting and humiliating the nobleman who owned the parish in which he lived to lord trowbridge the very fact that the parson of the parish which he regarded as his own was opposed to him proved sufficiently that the parson was scum dregs riff-raff a low radical and everything that a parson ought not to be the vicar had been wrong there the marquis did believe it all religiously what must i do said the marquis as to the chapel itself my lord the vicar bad as he is does not want to move it it must come down said the marquis getting up from his chair it shall come down do you think that i would allow it to stand when it has been erected on his ground through my error not for a day not for an hour i'll tell you what mr boothby that man has known it all through has known it as well as you do now but he has waited till the building was complete before he would tell me i see it all as plain as the nose on your face mr boothby the lawyer was meditating how best he might explain to his angry client that he had no power whatsoever to pull down the building that if the vicar and the dissenting minister chose to agree about it the new building must stand in spite of the marquis must stand unless the churchwardens patron or ecclesiastical authorities generally should force the vicar to have it removed when a clerk came in and whispered a word to the attorney my lord said mr boothby lord st george is here shall he come in the marquis did not wish to see his son exactly at this minute but lord st george was of course admitted this meeting at the lawyer's chambers was altogether fortuitous and father and son were equally surprised but so great was the anger and dismay and general perturbation of the marquis at the time that he could not stop to ask any question st george must of course know what had happened and it was quite as well that he should be told at once that bit of ground they built the chapel on at bullhampton turns out to be glebe said the marquis lord st george whistled of course mr fenwick knew it all along said the marquis i should hardly think that said his son you read his letter mr boothby will you be so good as to show lord st george the letter you never read such a production impudent scoundrel of course he knew it all the time lord st george read the letter he is very impudent whether he be a scoundrel or not impudent is no word for it perhaps he has had some provocation my lord 
not from me st george not from me i have done nothing to him of course the chapel must be removed don't you think the question might stand over for a while suggested mr boothby matters would become smoother in a month or two not for an hour said the marquis lord st george walked about the room with the letter in his hand meditating the truth is he said at last we have made a mistake and we must get out of it as best we can i think my father is a little wrong about this clergyman's character st george have you read his letter is that a proper letter to come from a clergyman of the church of england to 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 the marquis longed to say to the marquis of trowbridge but he did not dare so to express himself before his son to the landlord of his parish a red-brick chapel just close to your lodge isn't nice you know he has got no lodge said the marquis and so we thought we'd build him one let me manage this i'll see him and i'll see the minister and i'll endeavour to throw some oil upon the waters i don't want to throw oil upon the waters lord st george is in the right my lord said the attorney he really is it is a case in which we must throw a little oil upon the waters we've made a mistake and when we've done that we should always throw oil upon the waters i've no doubt lord st george will find a way out of it then the father and the son went away together and before they had reached the house of parliament lord st george had persuaded his father to place the matter of the bullhampton chapel in his hands and as for the letter said st george do not you notice it i have not the slightest intention of noticing it said the marquis haughtily chapter fifty seven